All right, church, this is Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. When there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Perinthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, (laughs) Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. In Egypt, yeah, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. When Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is the word of the Lord. Woo! That was fantastic. For those of you who don't know, Zach uh, used to lead music here, um, and that's just the perfect text for him to come back and be tapped to unexpectedly read this morning. 
Um, we've gotten a lot of questions about the residents of Phygeria. Um, and I wanted to answer some. <laughs> Just kidding. Happy Pentecost to all of you. Great to see Yeah, right? Good to see you. Um, I, was, uh, I was putting the, uh, the, the finishing touches on uh, this, this Pentecost sermon uh, last night. And my house began to shake. And I, and I heard people crying out in one voice. And this, this truly happened. Um, and it was, uh, it was just a house party right next door. Um, but it was like, they had the best DJ I've heard at a house party. I mean, it's a Park Slope house party, so, you know, adjust your expectations. But, um, like, every time a song would come on, like, the first little notes of the tune would come on, and the people would just go crazy. And then they were, like, all singing. And I was just like, man, this is, I started, like, doing my sermon, and then I would make a little, I had a little side note for myself called Summer Playlist, and I was just adding songs from their party to my playlist. And like, uh, they did, the, 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 I first noticed that I came in the house and they were doing I Would Walk 500 Miles and like everybody in the whole party was singing. My house was actually shaking. We had the windows open and it felt like we were at the party. Um, so we, we put the windows down. They did I Wanna Rock Right Now. And then they went into I Think We're Alone Now by Tiffany. So just to give you a little flavor, um, they did Dancing in the Dark and then Do You Believe in Life After Love? So, and the DJ was doing that little trick where he would cut all the music and then just like stick the, and the, like, oh, just, it was amazing to be writing a sermon on Pentecost with the house shaking and people crying out in a loud voice. Um, and, you know, like I'm contractually obligated to take everything that I experience and work it into a sermon illustration. Um, but I was like, this is, there's something to this, right? This is, a, they're having this tremendous shared experience like the songs are triggering these, these memories that, that they have. Like, uh, you know, like they all have a shared set of experiences with, the, with this music. And there's ramped up expectation. Like, you, you, like we're four or five songs in. You're like, what's going to come next? And everyone's screaming out. Everyone's singing at the very top. It's, it, there's something in there that, that is an echo and a shade of what we are longing for as human beings. Like to be enmeshed in a community where we're accepted and loved. To, to have this shared collective story that we're living in, to have these experiences, and um, it, it brought me back to a, a question that comes back into my mind often as a person, as just a human being, but also as a pastor. Um, you know, what, what if relationships really are the meaning of life? When, when given a chance, right, Jesus summarized all of the story by saying, love God with all that you are, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And there's something, something to that. Like, anytime we can get even a hint of that. Like, I have no idea. Like, the party went on. I think somebody must have called the cops around one because it just, like, <laughs> like, suddenly stopped. But, like, I don't know what their morning is like right now. But, like, they had a little glimpse, you know, like a little, little something. And... Uh, Jesus, when he had a chance to summarize, he said, loving God and loving others is what the whole, the whole thing is about. We're going to be celebrating 10 years as a church uh, this, 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 this autumn. And um, on Monday, I was talking about that, and a friend was praying, praying for me, and he reminded me of our first Sunday. And um, <coughs> the lead up to that first Sunday, and all the prayers and all the hopes and expectation and faith, and 
Um, I was kind of obsessed at that time with Exodus 33, this, this moment in the life of Moses when basically God says to Moses, uh, you know, like Moses' life is wild. He has this sort of sense of his vocation when he's very young and it leads him to kill someone and then he flees and he's in Midian for 40 years and then God speaks to him in a burning bush and he comes and then all the wildness of the, of the, uh, of the animated movie, um, Prince of Egypt happens and then um, they're going to the promised land and they get right to the point where they're gonna go and God's sort of upset with, with how the people's hearts continually like find these substitutes these things that almost work and put them in the place of, of, of God. And, and so he's like, listen, Moses, I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to send you on and you'll have victory. Basically, like, I'm going to give you everything you've been working for for the last 45, 50 years of your life. And Moses says, I don't want it. <laughs> Unless your presence goes with us, we don't want to go. God's like, I'm going to send you with angels. They're very competent. You'll be totally fine. You'll get there. You'll win. And it just had me thinking, you know, like what, how many of us, if, if God came to us and said, I'm going to give you everything you've been working on for the last stretch of your life, for the last 40 years, some things you've longed for since childhood, would we stop and say, yeah, but God, what about your presence? Will you be with us in it? Later, when they finally get to where they're going, when they finally get to the promised land and the 12 tribes of Israel are having this new home that's gonna be their, their, their place to live and, and to reflect Yahweh and to be the people that all the way back when it was just a glimmer of a seed of a promise with Abraham, that they, they were gonna have this, this, this place to call home and to, to be with God. They're, the 11 tribes are given uh, these parcels of land in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the promised land, except for one tribe wasn't given any land. The Levites, the priests of God, those who are supposed to minister before the presence of God are given zero, zero land. And you know why? Because God says to them, my presence is your inheritance. Better than anything that I could possibly give in material, uh, you know, wealth or achievement or success, my presence <laughs> is your inheritance. When David becomes king over this unified Israel, the, the glorious golden age of the history of Israel, David is constantly in his Psalms, even with all, we know David's massive failures, they're, 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 they're highly publicized massive failures, and yet this was a man, and I think this is one of the reasons he was the glorious king that he was, is because he was obsessed with the presence of God. Psalm 16, David prays, you alone are my portion and my cup. That's like a Levite prayer. That's like a, I've got no inheritance. And he had everything. And he's saying, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. A little while later, he says, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. For David, for Moses, all, like for, for, for the Levites, like the presence of God wasn't just like a nice bonus that you might get from time to time and in a particularly emotional service. It was everything. It was the heartbeat behind why the world was made, that human beings could engage with this God, Yahweh, in such a, in a particular way that our, our very being could experience his presence. And then something really powerful happens at, 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 at Pentecost. The prophets of Israel, like after David, after the kingdom got broken up and they're longing for some restoration of the hope and the promise that they had had, 
The prophets of Israel were looking forward to a day when God's promises would be fulfilled. And how would they be fulfilled? By God's presence. The prophet Joel is actually quoted in the teaching text. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So, if you feel like uh, it's an intimidating thing to try to read uh, from Genesis to the start of the New Testament, that there's a, a, like one of the themes that, that you can track if you're trying to make that journey is that the presence of God at every stage of Israel's story was utterly crucial. They had a share in the presence of God. And, and many times the, the spirit would, would descend upon a king or descend upon a prophet or descend upon a people or, or help them through a particular trial. But, but it, it, there was also this expectation that something is coming that is different than anything we've experienced yet, and it is going to absolutely blow your mind. So, we get to this point where the teaching text begins, and we have this physician, Luke, this doctor who um, was a a non-Jewish follower of Jesus, which in itself is is a hint that something new is beginning. This story that began with Abraham, a, a man who became a family, who became a nation, who God worked with so particularly, but now the movement of Jesus, whatever it is, is spilling over the banks of Israel. So you have this Gentile physician who's been following the movement of Jesus, who's been interviewing people who saw him raised from the dead, who, who heard him teach, who he's walking with the apostles. There's a bunch of, in, in the book of Acts, a bunch of places where um, you know, the, the account switches to we because Luke was there. He was witnessing this, the movement of the Spirit across the Roman Empire. But he wants us to see what's going on here. So he begins this letter and he addresses it to some wealthy dude probably named Theophilus who was a, who was a patron, may, maybe paying for the research for this book to be written. And, and, he, and, he, and then he says this, this is Acts 1. This is before our teaching text. After his suffering, this is Jesus, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over, over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. That's what we've just been doing as a church. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, <laughs> pause for a second, this thing that's been coming since the very beginning, like in a few days. It's, it's right here. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So very simply, just notice, like skimming right off the, ter- the, the surface there, what, what, what does Jesus say? Wait for the gift. Wait for the gift which has been promised, which if you've been listening, as you've been growing up in synagogue, you've been hearing about in one way or another for your entire life, wait for the gift. It's what we've been waiting for. It's what we've been talking about. It's what we've been hoping for. And then you will be baptized, by the Holy Spirit, in some way, whatever's about to happen would mean your life would be totally immersed in the life of God. That you would not just have a correct set of assumptions about Yahweh or a correct understanding of world history with God in a sovereign place of controlling and directing it. That you would not just say, I believe that, that some, some, when I get to heaven, you know, some, sometime after I die, that, that God will tip the scales in my favor so I'll have a positive end result in eternal life. No, that 
God's plan was that we would be immersed, fully immersed in his life, that we would know him so intimately that it's like his very spirit fills our life. Wait for the gift, you will be baptized. And, and, and what is that? What's the point of that, right? So that we, are, so that we can get goosebumps, so that we can know that, we, that God is close to us. Th- those things happen, right? Pe- people like fall over. People sing in, in tears of joy. People, people pray in languages they've never studied. People, people worship. People lay hands on one another and, pe- and people get better. Like astonishing things happen when the Holy Spirit comes and fills. But it's never just like, let me verify your experience. <laughs> it's always also to push us beyond the boundaries of self into a place of mission and love. Wait for the gift, you'll be baptized. It's a total immersion in the life of God. And then you will be equipped with what you need to live actually what the most abundant life in the world is, which is a life of outflow, of love and mission and mercy and sweeping, seeing people swept into the story. The the Oxford scholar, Michael Green, who's done some tremendous work on on who the Holy Spirit is for, for the church, just sort of anchoring it in some um, high-level scholarship. If you want to read some books on the Holy Spirit, check out what Michael, Michael Green has written. But he says that the Holy Spirit is often fulfilling these three roles that Jesus mentioned. Assuring us, what's the Holy Spirit do? Assuring us that we are sons and daughters of God. Sending us forth in love. Like it's not enough to just be assured that you're in, right? It's not enough just to be assured that God loves you as powerful and profound as that. And now you've got it. Now carry this forward. Carry this, carry this. So, and then when you get out there, I'm assured that I'm a son or daughter of God. And now I'm going forward in a mission of love. You are going to hit massive amounts of difficulty. Your own internal <laughs> patterns and behaviors and systems that have been in your life, your entire life are going to be working against you at times. The, the system of the world is going to be working against you at times. There is accusation and resistance in a spiritual level. And so you don't just need to know that you're in. You don't just need to know that you're sent. You also need to be equipped in the moment, like every single day, by this very spirit, assuring us that we're sons and daughters, sending us forth in love, equipping us with what with what we need. Now, if you're like, I come from a tradition that just, tradition that just wasn't that big on the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm sorry. What are you doing? Like, what? This is, this is, this is God. Like, this is God's Spirit filling our lives. There, there's no way to live the way of Jesus without the Spirit of Jesus. So, we can acknowledge, I'm super uncomfortable with this weird stuff. And still say, and yet, if, if the Holy Spirit is there, and this is, this is literally the fuel in life and, and the deepest seated intention of God's heart from the very beginning that we would be drawn into his family by the Spirit, that we got to get over that. In a very real sense, the whole story of the scriptures has been bending towards this moment. And so we arrive at it with this sentence. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So... Another helpful scholar who I quote at an astonishing rate, um, 
Apologies. Um, N.T. Wright helps us understand this moment. At, at the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. He sort of helps us to see uh, in just a few sentences why Jerusalem was packed with people at this very moment from around the world. And this is what he says. For a first century Jew, Pentecost was the 50th day after Passover. It was an agricultural festival. It was the day when farmers brought the first sheaf of wheat from the crop and offered it to God, partly as a sign of gratitude and partly as a prayer that all the rest of the crop, too, would be safely gathered in. But for the Jew, neither Passover nor Pentecost were simply agricultural festivals. These festivals awakened echoes of the great story which dominated the long memories of the Jewish people, the story of the exodus from Egypt, when God fulfilled his promises to Abraham by rescuing his people. Passover was the time when the lambs were sacrificed and the Israelites were saved from the avenging angel who slew the firstborn of the Egyptians. Off went the Israelites that very night and passed through the Red Sea into the Sinai Desert. Then, 50 days after Passover, they came to Mount Sinai where Moses received the law. Pentecost, the 50th day, isn't, in other words, just about the first fruits, the sheaf which says the harvest has begun. It's about God giving his redeemed people the way of life by which they now must carry out his purposes. A question that one of my kids, and I think each of them have asked it in different ways, um, is why take so long to send Jesus? (laughs) Like after the, the fall happens in Genesis and the world is sort of like fragmented and broken and destruction is, is run, run, running rap, rampant, like why, why not just go ahead and send Jesus? There's a, there's a work of preparation that takes place all throughout the scriptures. And, and I don't have time to go into all of it right now. We're, we're going to have a few, seri- uh, a few series of, of messages on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about where the world was in this particular time of history, particularly primed for what we actually see take place in this moment. But but. God has a definite reason for the Holy Spirit being poured out on Pentecost. This was a day that was about the first fruits of the harvest. So so that's taking place in literally the people who are drawn into the story of Jesus, but also in giving a new way to live, right? Moses goes up onto Sinai and he comes down with a new way to live. You've been slaves for 400 years. Here's how you live in freedom. Here's how you live as the people of Yahweh. Here's how you walk in the world. Jesus ascends after his resurrection and what descends is this, the first fruit of salvation and this new, entirely new way of living, So, just to say a couple of quick things about this Holy Spirit who comes at Pentecost. The results of the fall, right, I just mentioned this. Think about this with me for for a moment. Like, whatever your philosophy of human existence is, whatever your answers to the question, what's wrong with the world? Like, why do we hurt one another? Why do we deal with the same, you know, repeating violence? Why are we... Why do we exclude one another because of fear? Like, what about these problems that we deal with as human beings? Why, 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 are, we, why are we unfaithful to, to, to our promises, even to ourselves? What's going on? The scripture's answer to that question is that as a result of the fall, like through disconnection with Yahweh, through disconnection with God, there, there came this fragmentation into our world where we began to compartmentalize our, our, our lives and try to meet the deep needs of our life without, without a framework for God being involved. When the New Testament talks about flesh, like we say this all the time, but it's not talking about skin and it's not talking about just like sexual things. The, the flesh is an operating system for human life that doesn't take God into account. And, and this disenchantment that takes place in the fall, the, 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 the result of it is fear, 
The result of it is that for every generation after, we've contended with death. <laughs> that human beings generally, like, give us enough time, we, we come to this place of being really restless and discontent. <laughs> the New Testament says it over and over again. The flesh, that operating system without God involved, is never satisfied. And so God's a- answer to this, this problem is, is not just to deal with it out here. It's literally to have the solution come crashing into our lives. <laughs> the Spirit of God right from the very beginning, hovers over the face of the deep in the creation story. Like, whatever, the first time we're introduced to the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does is bring order out of chaos. It brings life and creativity and teeming abundance to a place that, that was formless and void. It is a, the Holy Spirit is a reanimator. Like, where there is spiritual death, the Holy Spirit can, can electrify someone back to spiritual life. The, the fruit of the Spirit, like the results of the Spirit of God in someone's life, when it like, takes root in the character of a human being, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Now, every human being is after that list of attributes. <laughs> because many of us are not willing to say, I gotta get that from God, and God's spirit can provide it. So something to say right here as we begin a series on the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is not power for magic tricks that some Christians have. It's so easy to start thinking, start thinking in those ways. Like if you're a particularly like highly rational person and the way you've always learned your entire life is through like detailed study and research and, and then you have people who are just like, they're, they're sensuous feelers. Like every, they feel everything. They feel the vibe and they're like experience the Holy Spirit and the first song, they're in tears and their hands are up and you're sitting there saying like, I don't experience God that way. This isn't real. The Holy Spirit is, is not a magic trick for certain types of people. He is literally the, 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 the person of Jesus filling our very life. And, and that means starting from the place that you are. <laughs> like the Holy Spirit inspires N.T. Wright and Michael Green to write slowly and tediously write books about the theology of God. Right? It, it, it's, the Holy Spirit may prompt you to, to begin a new business and to do all of the very hard, difficult work of, of scraping up the capital and, and, and rallying the human beings around this idea. And, and putting it into practice, it's, it's not simply just so that like, you can lay hands on someone and they can feel a little bit of electricity. It's not a magic trick. It's the person of God and it is the fuel for the kingdom. It's the spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. There's such an important connection, and we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but in that ascension outpouring dynamic, like Jesus is like bizarrely like hauntingly almost, telling his pals before he leaves, I'm gonna leave and it's gonna be better. And they're like, nah, I don't think it will be. And he's like, it will be. Because I, I can be in one place and my spirit is gonna come and it's gonna fill all of you and it's gonna spill the banks of Israel. And the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit that shook the mountain is gonna literally fill your hearts. The last thing that, Paul, uh, uh, that Peter says at the end of his sermon is, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is connected to the work and ministry and finished redemption of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. You might, if you're in a certain type of church, receive the Holy Spirit. You might, if you're particularly a feeler type person, get the Holy Spirit. You might, if you work at it for many, many years and you go to London, receive the Holy Spirit. 
You might, if you're in a particular tent one time in your life on a mission trip, you know, with Team Challenge as a kid, receive it. No, if you repent and believe and cling to Jesus, the birthright of those who cling to Christ's redemption is that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we are invited to pray perpetually for for a sense of that, right? You are sealed with the Holy Spirit if you are united to Jesus, and it is irrevocable. And yet we are, we are asked to, to present perfect tense, regularly be praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit. I am filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm regularly asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's not just for some people, literally everybody gets to play. We don't just need to grasp certain ideas about this third person of the Trinity. I'm going to give you N.T. Wright one more time. That's it for this sermon. The first day of Pentecost and the experience of God's spirit from, from that day to this can, can no more be reduced to theological formula and interesting Old Testament echoes than you can reduce a hurricane to a list of diagrams on a meteorologist's chart. It's important that someone somewhere is tracking the hurricane and telling us what it's doing, but when it comes to Pentecost, it's far more important that you're out there in the wind letting it sweep through your life, your heart, your imagination, your powers of speech, and transform you from, from a listless or a lifeless believer into someone whose heart is on fire with love of God, with the love of God. So, this account of the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, I just want to tell you like a couple of quick things that are repeatably true about the Holy Spirit. They are as true right here in this uh, fluorescent lit middle school auditorium as they were that packed day in Jerusalem with the throngs from every, every nation represented. Here's, here's the first one that you have to understand. The Spirit of God communicates God's nearness It's one thing to intellectually know God is near. It is another thing to experience God's nearness like an embrace. And and like our language starts to to come apart here. And this is why you'll have so many times in the New Testament, you'll have about 40 metaphors stacked on one another because you're trying to get at something that transcends languages. So it's like, it's a wind and a fire and a water and, and, and you're speaking in a language you've never studied and you love everyone and that's the spirit. Like what? But each one of those pictures, each one of those metaphors for what the Spirit is doing, like literally, I believe they, they heard something, right? Like they, it's, it's like they could, like I heard my own house shaking as everyone's saying, do you believe in life after love? That, 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 that really, but I think what was trying to be communicated is not like, oh, phenomenon's happening here. It's that God is near. The Spirit fills the place where they are, and then the Spirit fills them. The second thing that I want you to see is that the Spirit of God unifies. The fall fragments. It breaks us apart from God, from one another, from our own true sense of ourselves. It breaks us apart (laughs) into nations, into rivalry, into brokenness. Like the sort of apex moment in Genesis of, of, of the results of the fall are, are these human beings at the at the Babel story who are who are who are who are separated right because of because of their 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 pride and desire to sort of be gods on their own they're separated into these different cultures and different languages and the Pentecost is the it is the anti Babel moment 
It is the moment where these languages are brought back together. This mysterious thing happens where the, the, these first followers of Jesus stand up and they begin to proclaim the hope that is in their hearts and everyone hears in their own language. This is the next stage in God fulfilling his promises to, to Abraham and to his descendants. And what was that promise? That Israel would be a blessing to the entire world. The Spirit of God brings us into the unity and diversity that is present in the Trinity, that is present in God's vision for humanity, that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation would become one family. And the glimpse of it at Pentecost is that people come together and they're like, I just got an Airbnb here for, for, for this agricultural festival. <laughs> Brought my sheaf of wheat, and how am I hearing in my own language? It's exactly how it happens in the message. Check it out. The Spirit of God unifies. The Spirit of God begins to express this crystal clear, beautiful vision that's been in the heart of God from the beginning that every tribe and tongue and nation be brought in and unified in this. Relationships are the meaning of life and, and redemption has been poured out by God. Another thing that you notice if you pay attention to this text is that the Spirit of God amazes and perplexes. And I think that that's important to know. But the Spirit of God for many of you, and you have experiences with God's presence that have been amazing, and you hold on to them. This, like, I came back from this addiction, and I thought that I, my self-worth was utterly torn apart, and I felt God speak to me. And unbelievably, I thought God, if he was going to speak to me, would tell me, like, these seven steps to, um, you know, to, to fix my life. And instead, what God communicated was, you are loved. You are embraced. You're brought, you're brought in. Some of you have unexpectedly prayed for someone and you've seen them get well, and you have no accounting for that. Like, that should happen for someone else. Some of you have had amazing experiences in worship where, where you've, you've known the nearness of God. You've known the unity. You've experienced some of those things. And some of you have been actually perplexed. It's like, why is it happening over here and not over here? Like, immediately, like when the Holy Spirit is poured out, alternative explanations are given. And the first one is they're drunk. And I love the apostles' answer. It's like, no, it's too early. It's nine. Check back in after, after work. But think about this, right? I was thinking about like the people like in the, in the house party last night. I don't know. It could, be, it could have been a sober dance party. I have no idea. But like they were getting after it in such a fantastic way. And I was like, you can, there, there are substitutes in our world that you can put into your body or experience that, that are, they, they're the almost work category of things, right? They can give you temporarily peace, <laughs> And joy and a sense of unity, right? This is why someone who's drunk is like, I love you, man. I you are my real friends, right? Like that's, that's how we, and, and, and then never mind the next morning we wake up and like we, our tongue is stuck to the roof of our mouth and our, our, our head is pounding or whatever. It's like, we're, what's going on here? But the spirit of God fills us in a way that it doesn't numb us to reality, it fills us with an awareness of reality, but connected to the heart of God. You are truly seen and known and loved. These people that you're around, they're not just people. They're part of your potential family forever in the kingdom of God. The, the, this brokenness and resistance that we feel in the world, there's a power at work, a resurrection power at work in the world. And so the spirit ramps us up to actually contend with reality in a new way. I'm not in any way saying when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there won't be tremendous oppositions. There won't even be mornings that, that feel like, gee, I wish I could go back to that experience. I'm hungover from 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 from, from the experience of the presence of God, there are many low, low moments, of course, but 
Ultimately, the Spirit of God is to fill us with the reality of the kingdom of God. It amazes and perplexes. See, God works in your rationale, but God also works in your soul below the surface. God enlivens your spirit. God surprises us. We need what we can work out on our own. We do. We also need to be surprised by a love that's beyond our capacity. As much as we like to control things, there are times when we just can't. And so Peter gets up and he, inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? The sermon is no less uh, the Holy Spirit than the shaking and the singing and the praying in different languages. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. We have the Bible. We have prayer. We have other Christians. We have nice religious services to go to. Why do we have to have the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit's the life of God filling us. I'll give you one Super simple example from my life over the last couple of weeks. We had those Lent prayer nights. And just a few of us were gathering on Sunday evenings to pray for one another. And we're praying. And honestly, some of them were, were, not, they were, not, spec, they were not sparkling and spectacular at all. Like we're like, we should have had a better plan. Like we, we should have gotten someone else to lead. Like we were kind of exhausted. And we're just trying to pray. We're just trying to pray and be, be in the presence of God together. And one of the nights, we're sitting around in a circle and we're praying and we've been praying the Psalms and praying scriptures and singing some. And, and this um, disco ball keeps showing up in my head. And I'm like, what is that? And so I've, I've talked to you guys a lot about these types of experiences in my life. I immediately begin the rationalization thing. Like, okay, that's silly. Um, da, 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 da. And then I'm like, okay, God, if you want me to say something about a disco ball, then tell me what it means. Like, give me a beautiful picture. And it was like, and I started to think, well, maybe it's like a mirror that's been cracked and someone's identity is broken, and it's like folded over this, this thing, and now light's shining through, but it's all disjointed, and what, people are dizzy. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to explain it. Basically, I'm like, I can't mention this unless you give me a cool reason to. But finally, I was just like, guys, uh, we're praying, and I just have a picture in my head of a disco ball, and I don't have, and I was like, I wanted to give a long explanation. I was like, I don't know if it has something to do with like someone's work and identity and where they are in their life right now. And then I was just like, like open one eye and look. And there's an awkward moment of silence. And then I see a head drop. And one of the girls in the circle says, I work every single day in Dumbo under this disco ball. And I've been having such a wrestle with like where I am in my vocation, where I am in life right now, what God has for me and how it all feels like some of it just feels like it's delayed. And like, we're like, yes, it works. And we jumped up and like all come around her and lay hands and pray and like it's one of those like tearful releasing moments where someone gets a sense that they're seen and known and loved by God in such a powerful way. Now we could have read a bunch of Psalms and be like that one really stood out to me and that is true and appropriate but there's sometimes where God will accelerate healing by the Holy Spirit. And I think that's what's be, it's talking about in the, in the prophet Joel. Like, you're going to see visions. You're going to dream dreams. You're going to have, you're gonna have prophetic words for one another. You're going to be given the ability to strike right at the quick from time to time, right in the place where I'm at work in someone's life. The Holy Spirit lets us know that we are seen and known by God, that we are not ultimately in control, that we are loved, and that every one of you 
gets to participate. Every one of you gets to play. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's not like some of the saved people just use their minds in the Bible and some of these people use the spirit and flags. No, we're all in. Everybody gets to play. The spirit of God is what applies the salvation of God. This is what Peter says at the end. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for your children and all who are far, far off, for all, all whom the Lord our God will call. This crucified Jesus is the Lord and Messiah, is Yahweh and Rescuer, is Elohim and Hosanna, (laughs) is the power of God that shook Mount Sinai and delivered this new way of freedom and life in the world and also the one who personally rescues us and rescues us as families and brings redemption to city. This Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Messiah. He is the king and the director of our lives and also the one who picks us up when we fall flat on our face on a daily basis and they are cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is bring application of the word of God to us in a personal way so it's not like, that's super interesting. They're cut to the heart, and their response is, what do we do? This is really important dynamic for us as a church, especially when we're set up in a listening-only environment. Like, yes, I agree with some of what you said. I'm 80-20 on this sermon, and I like a lot of it, and I'll sing later because of this. No, I'm cut to the heart, and what will I do? Like, conviction leads to action. Breakthrough, like when the Spirit, like... Take our friend in the prayer meeting, like the disco thing. Is it enough that God was like, yeah, I see you. I know you work under a disco ball. Isn't that cool? I'm God, all right? No, now it's like, how do I now shape my life, my daily life around this this reality that God sees me and knows me and is calling me to something in his kingdom? Breakthrough leads to habit change because we live as human beings from our habits. Repent and be baptized. What does this mean? Totally reorient your life around this Jesus person. Be immersed in his kingdom. Be baptized. And you will be forgiven of your sins. So you're cleansed. Why? So that you can become the innermost place of the temple. The veil has been torn. Why? So that you can go in. No, because the spirit is coming out and filling a bunch of you. And you are now temples of the living God filled with his spirit. This is the Pentecost moment. You will receive the Holy Spirit. Not like some of you, everyone who reorients their life around this Jesus will receive forgiveness of sins and the filling of the Holy Spirit. What will it be for? To assure you that your family, you are sons and daughters of God. To send you into each day, into your whole life story. To equip you, to fill you in those moments Repair what's broken. Fill in what's missing. Say what needs to be said over your life. To show you God is near. To show you that you're unified in a story that's bigger than your people and your preferences and your, your little narrative. It's something so much bigger. It's spilling the banks. To immerse you in the heart and mind in God's salvation. To give you the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. 
to give you visions, prophetic words, dreams, faith for healing, faith for a new stage of your vocation, faith, faith to raise a child, faith to, to, to go across the, the, the room and, and, and speak to someone in love, to faith to ask for forgiveness. If you come to Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit is your birthright. Let me pray for you. It's so clear to me, God, that we come to the place where words have done all they can and now we have to have your presence take us the rest of the way. We need you to lead and guide us. I pray for everyone who feels that longing, that sense of being cut to their heart this morning, that longs to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that longs to to reorient their life around Jesus again today or for the first time. I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us as you did at Pentecost. Would you do it again, Lord, in our time? Direct us as we respond in these next moments. Help us to worship and to pray and to be received in your love. Help us to remember we don't have to work it up. We can just receive. In Jesus' name, amen.